0: It's the end, end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That's great, it starts with an earthquake, births, snakes, an aeroplanes, yeah, many fruits, not afraid. I have a hermogene, listen to yourself, the world, but you don't need something, give your own head, Speed it up, and I will got no future. Let her fuck the clatter with the fear of fight down high Fire in a fire, listen to the gang, the government for hiring the combat site. But company, maturity, bring it wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury to down your neck. The border the problem with that low plane, overflow, the of the The you know, your husband, tell me the 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 right. You bike right, my feeling pretty the end of the world as we know it. It's the the world as we know it. It's world as we it. Welcome. To the doom and bloom hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. In the dark heart of the city, a mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones. And who is that mysterious figure? Why, it's Joe Walton, M.D., just an old country doctor <laughs> here in the dark heart of the city.
1: And by country, you mean the great old USA. <laughs> That's right.
0: This is the Hour of Doom.
1: And blue.
0: That's right, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, an energetic era of electricity in an egregious world. Mm-hmm. I'm Joe Halton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of Doom and where you'll find over a thousand posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster.
1: And I am Narsamy, but. My real name is Amy Alton. I am an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife.
0: And together we are the gang of two, the spectacular spouses, the masters of disaster. (laughs) And we're here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with an aggravating aardvark? Well, our attorney says, don't call me. Call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And listen to this.
1: All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Arcemi's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract nor provider-patient relationship exists nor is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Arcemi strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is Available.
0: Ah, but when modern medicines get up and go, as got up and went, you might end up being the highest medical asset left to your family in times of trouble. When it's least expected, you might be elected to act when the rescue helicopter is not on the horizon. You know what? Let me tell you this, folks. Yes, dear. You got to show the world that you got more sense than the good Lord gave a frog. Or you know what a, will happen?
1: A frog, yes. You'll croak. You'll croak for sure.
0: <laughs> that was unexpected <laughs> and
1: very funny, hon.
0: That's right. Well, That's cute. I want people out there to get some training, learn something. And while you're at it, how about some supplies and a quality medical kit to go along with all that? I can't think of a better place to get it. The Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never-equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you deal with medical issues you'll face in any disaster. They'll make your home, your workplace, your school, your church safer. And they're designed by an honest-to-gosh medical doctor and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. I want you to compare our kits for Contents, quality and cost Take a look, good look at the store And at the individual kits And you will see that our kits Are what you should have in your medical storage But don't take our word for it Check out our testimonial page At store.doomandbloom.net See what folks Just like you have to say about our medical kits And service And on top of all that Our kits are approved for your health or sell, savings account Your flexible savings account HSA, FSA Just look at our section in the store On that Hey We learn as much from you As you do from us A sad state state of affairs <laughs> for, for us and for you uh, But don't be afraid to say hi guy Connect with the geezer and the goddess It's easy And here's Nurse Amy to tell you how
1: Absolutely You can email us at any time At drbonespodcast At aol.com Find us on Facebook At our group Survival Medicine DR Bones and Nurse Amy also of course the Facebook page Doom and Bloom that one makes sense that, <laughs> yes. Doom and Bloom Don't forget our Twitter at Prepper Show and our YouTube channel at DR Bones Nurse Amy I have two uh, asthma videos uh-huh. up and number 3 Maybe today.
0: All right, please. Maybe today. That would be great. We have a third one, and that's on natural remedies for asthma. So I hope that we can get that one up soon for you guys to take a look at. Oh, and hey, did I mention that you can find some of our articles in great magazines like Backwoods Home, American Survival Guide, Survivor's Edge, gosh, all sorts of great places. And here's one last shameless plug, last one Mm -hmm. I promise. For Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, our new book, The Layman's Guide to Available Antibacterials in Austere Settings, a detailed look into the fish and bird antibiotics and the infections that they are helpful to cure or prevent. It's about 300 pages. We wrote it to concentrate on antibiotics that are available to the average person and the diseases that those antibiotics cure. Go into way more depth on that topic than any other book that you'll find out there Even our survival medicine handbook Although we do talk about it in there And I can confidently say that this book Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease Is a pretty darn unique book You're not going to find medical school professors Talking about this stuff I'll admit it's controversial In conventional medical circles But you need to know this stuff If you are believing that Times of trouble may be upon us In the future
1: and Let me just mention, as far as getting in touch with us in any way or finding any of those social media links or the YouTube at the top of doomandbloom.net, I have icons that will take you to all of those places with just the click of a button. So once you go on doomandbloom.net, just look at the top. You want to go to the YouTube channel. There's a YouTube icon. You want to go to the survival group. You can go to the survival group. You can go to the, the Facebook page, Doom and Bloom. You can go to our blog talk where you find the podcast and the history of our hundreds of podcasts.
0: Right. And our latest book you have. <laughs> do you have information yep. on there? Yeah. Yep.
1: There's So sure. there's things to click on very easily to get you from place to place.
0: Absolutely right. and. In our... So you don't
1: have to remember any of this <laughs> Just doomandbloom.net, helpful
0: That's right, and Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease Is a book that you're going to find on Amazon You'll find it on our website If you mm-hmm. want an autographed copy, go to our website And you can find it It'll tell you all about how bacteria cause disease Talk about the very many different disease-causing organisms How do you tell bacterial versus viral uh, epidemic disease, pandemic diseases, how antibiotics work, all the different antibiotic families, and how to use these drugs carefully, even in fish and bird form. And we talk about the dosing, the side effects, allergies, all sorts of stuff, including expiration dates and uh, establishing sick rooms, dealing with wound care, wound infections, all sorts. Stuff. If you want to be prepared for disasters, you won't regret having Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, The Layman's Guide to Available Antibacterials in Austere Settings in your survival library. Remember, our books are meant for situations where there is not a functioning modern medical system. If there is, get to a certified medical professional ASAP. Well, this week, Winter Storm Gia is coming to town they've been naming uh, these storms for a number of years now and it's going to spread a swath of snow and ice from parts of the rockies the plains the midwest all the way to the mid-atlantic this weekend hopefully not causing more than a few travel delays but and yeah i know winter storms occur every year in the united states but if you don't take them seriously they can cause fatalities among the unprepared and that's exactly sadly Just what they do. 70% of deaths in blizzard conditions occur due to traffic accidents. 25% of them occur from, well, hypothermia. From freezing to death, sometimes called exposure. Uh, If you're caught outside or even inside without a heat source, these things can happen. And with GIA's strong winds, trees, and power lines burdened with heavy snowfall might just topple and they will cause all sorts of additional hazards. If a blizzard knocks the power out, while you're still in your home, which is a great place to be if you're going to be in a blizzard, you're going to want a strategy. You want to have a plan of action. It's preferable to keep everyone in an inside room, preferably without windows. And the heat from several bodies is a good start. It'll make a small space warmer, even if you, especially if you've got some nice warm blankets to go along with it. Now, heat in the home, you can conserve it. By shutting the doors of unused rooms, drawing the blinds, the curtains to add a little insulation. You want to stuff towels under the door to prevent loss of warmth from the room that you are using. Some people and some people are live in relatively remote homesteads, and these kinds of strategies mm-hmm. are things that might actually save some lives. If you're yep. using some form of alternative heat, however, you got to make certain. That There is reasonable ventilation in the house Otherwise you might wind up Getting overcome by fumes or, or things like that You should always prepare for mishaps By having a fire extinguisher handy I don't have to tell you that That is basic, basic stuff Staying hydrated Now that is very important You're going to be surprised How much water a family uses So fill the bathtub with water Then plumbing Plumbing could be kept from freezing by maybe allowing the faucet to drip a little bit. Of course, you want to stock up on non-perishable food. We certainly have, and
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: that's, she's, just a little bit. She's laughing. Yeah. She's she's right. She's right. We do have quite a bit <laughs> of uh, food that we can use. MREs and stuff like that. I'll tell you, with MREs, from a medical standpoint, remember that they do, they do cause pretty significant constipation. So you do want to have some maybe laxatives. Available. I
1: have a wide variety of food, foods to eat, yes. There you go. All With right. spices, and that way we would have a nice variety. Lots of protein sources. That's important.
0: Yep. Absolutely.
1: Yoder's bacon.
0: Yoder's bacon. So anyone
1: who's a proper knows exactly what I just said.
0: Yeah, Yoder's bacon. And it's
1: delicious now, by the way, folks, if you get a hankering well, for a, bacon, B- a BLT.
0: Bacon is delicious, period.
1: Yeah, but you wouldn't believe, i mean, you would because I made you taste it, the Yoder's bacon. It's yeah, no, delicious. It's,
0: good. it's actually very good.
1: Remember it came in that wax paper that yep. unfolds?
0: Yep, yep, yep. It's, there's a
1: lot in that can.
0: There's a lot. So consider Yoder's bacon. Oh, We, mm-hmm. we should be uh, Yoder's uh, spokespersons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how about that?
1: Just from experience, it's delicious.
0: We'll have to talk to them. Well, <laughs> winter conditions do not just affect people. you got to remember they affect cars as well. And cold will affect rubber and metal. I mean, just cold. It even decreases the efficiency of your car battery. Tires become stiff. They, they're they flattish for the first couple of hundred yards until they warm up.
1: Yeah, wait. Do you remember when we traveled, I forget, it must have been Colorado, and it mm-hmm. was cold out. And we got the rental car. Right. And we immediately looked, and it said, low tire pressure. And we were like, oh, No. And we went to the rental area where you get the driver's license right, on the right. way out. And they said, oh, don't worry about that. It's just the cold weather. It's it's fine.
0: Right. Well, I think that was the it trip was that we went. concerning us. Yeah, I think that was the trip that we went across the Continental Divide. And we were like 17,000 yeah, feet or yeah. something. Some crazy thing <laughs> 17,000 feet. Amazing stuff. We well, have had some adventures here oh, in yeah. our preparedness journey. We're
1: going to have another one. We're driving from Salt Lake City to... Vegas.
0: Yes, we have not uh, to, for the annual Shot Show. You could see us there. We're going to have uh, some of our kits on display, and I think that it's going to be a great time. They always have some very interesting uh, and, and, and elaborate. I can tell you, Boots. elaborate this booth, crazy displays. displays. We're just gonna have a regular old little old booth. <laughs> yeah. There are people actually build buildings inside this huge warehouse, two
1: story buildings. It
0: is. Absolutely. With safes
1: inside them, I yep. mean, just
0: crazy, insane. baby.
1: Now we did speak to somebody who lives in a town that's between On the way, St.
0: George, Utah. Yes, yes,
1: and he mentioned that we're going to have to be climbing up. Um,
0: about sixty five hundred feet. That's not so bad.
1: Yeah, but in the winter, I'm afraid if it's snowy. Yes, I'm a little nervous. Right.
0: Well, we're going I have to be to say. very. We're going to be very careful I and, grew up
1: on flatland.
0: And we're going to talk Florida. a little and we're <laughs> interestingly, we're going to talk a little bit about that exact situation. I just want to just say that it's very important to know that motor oil and other lubricants become thicker at cold temperatures. This makes the engine work harder. Therefore, you should be winterizing your car if you have not yet done so. Switch to a lighter viscosity oil, change the to snow tires. Choose the right antifreeze ratio of coolant to water. And, of course, keep your gas tanks full, if at all possible. So let's say you're outside in a blizzard. As you were just mentioning, you're not a bear. You can't hibernate through the cold winter, so you're going to have to take measures to avoid getting stranded out in the cold. When That's you have true. make necessary trips.
1: And let me just mention that. If we had to walk from Salt Lake City to Vegas, it's 138 hours. Wow.
0: Okay. Well.
1: But only thirty-six by bicycle.
0: <laughs> My gosh.
1: Can you imagine? Great. Imagine
0: how Native Americans did I, travel from place to place. Honestly, just incredible.
1: Instant, just crazy.
0: Well, outside in a the blizzard, there are a lot of deaths that can occur from exposure that are avoidable if some simple precautions are taken. And the first thing that you should do before planning a day outdoors in the snowy weather is to consult your weather radio for the forecast. If a storm's on the way, postpone your outing until the weather improves. That's pretty much common sense, guys. Now, you have to dress appropriately. You have to dress in layers. Each successive layer of clothing traps some warm air near your body. And wool, of course, is the best material for staying warm. I think everybody knows that. Cotton, of course, stays cool or keeps you cool. But unlike cotton, wool will stay warm even if it's somewhat wet and it will wick some per- perspiration away from the skin. Wet clothing, that'll cause you to lose body temperature pretty much faster than just about anything else. Mittens, will, will uh, short of a dunk in the, in the uh, frozen lake. Mittens, by the way, also are very important. They keep your hands warmer than gloves because you have your fingers touching each other. And the warmth of those fingers is more than just separating out your fingers with individual gloves. So mittens better than gloves. Um... Oh some, oh, some people, by the way, might be caught by surprise when a winter storm hits the backcountry. If you're in the wilderness, you got to seek some form of shelter immediately to get out of the wind. There are lots of different types of, sh- of improvised shelters you can make. One is called a tree well. A tree well is a sunken area around the trunk in very deep snow. If you've ever uh, traveled in deep snow or if you've ever been on a ski lift, for example, you probably have seen many trees that have this little sunken area around the trunk and in that's other in otherwise very deep snow. Now, this area is relatively easy to ex- excavate, and if the tree has low-hanging branches, it provides actually some protection from the falling snow. You look for natural barriers nearby that can serve as windbreaks. Beware, however, of slopes where you might be exposed to drifting snow or avalanches. Oh, boy. Now, the spake, space that you dig out should be Pretty small. Small shelters, of course, take less effort to keep warm than large ones, right? That makes pretty much all the sense in the world. Pack your snow walls well, which that will retain heat better and support a makeshift roof a little bit better than not not doing that, but not packing in the snow. Do You want to place some evergreen uh, branches, some debris on the floor to protect you from the cold ground. Remember, the ground is just as cold or cold as cold as you could imagine, So it's very important to do that. Add some branches on top to make a roof. And if you happen to have a solar blanket with you, which everybody should have a uh, backpack with a solar blanket or two or three or four, uh, that can be... Your big kits, I know, have four solar blankets. Yes, yes, they do. That's right. So tarps uh, could also be used for this purpose if you can uh, manage to pack a tarp without too much trouble wind of course might easily blow these things off you do have to tie rocks to the corners of these things as weights so that they don't just blow off if a tree well is just not an option you can dig a cave out of deep snow that can serve to insulate you from the uh, wind think igloos an igloo right Mm -hmm. it does that exact uh, function uh, if you make a fire be sure to have ventilation holes in your shelter very important otherwise you're going to be overcome by the smoke entrance ventilation holes should open at about a 90 degree angle to the prevailing winds you want to stay hydrated but you don't want to eat snow your body first has to melt it and then loo- and, and it loses heat if you if you intake snow as your source of water you lose a lot of water, but if you you can melt it with your body, if you don't have fire to melt snow, put a container with it in your clothes, not next to the skin but in between layers, and that will melt the ice, or melt the snow, so you can have some water to drink. Hypothermia, other cold-related re- uh, medical issues, we're going to talk about that, some it, which, uh, this is a great time of year to do that, but how about if you're in your car?
1: Wait a second, yes, in the car, speaking of the day before we drive to Salt Lake City, it's going to snow.
0: Day before, okay. See that? Uh huh.
1: It's raining. Wednesday and Thursday, Friday is snow, and we get we arrive there Saturday.
0: Okay, well, but it looks like it's only going to be cloudy on Saturday. That's a typical winter weather. So, with any luck, we should be just ah, peachy. I'm
1: so scared.
0: Oh, don't. Be. <laughs> well, the first question you should ask before you get in a car in cold weather is is this trip necessary you don't have
1: to, <laughs> good right? point is it necessary honey right if
0: you don't have to leave the house in a snowstorm please don't i mean that makes the most sense to me i mean it, if you have to really leave the house you got to do something uh that is not right in your domicile drive as if your life depended on it please because it really does i mean you Make sure you don't speed. You don't tailgate. Don't weave from lane to lane. Amy, Amy what? likes Amy likes to drive. She doesn't. I eat. am a very safe driver. Yes. When's the
1: last time we got in an accident? How Never. many have I avoided people very trying rare, to kill us? Very
0: very rare. Remember rare, recently? Rare. Yes. I had to
1: slam on my brakes yes. because somebody was pulling right into the front of us.
0: That's right. They just
1: changed lanes without looking.
0: Yep. That's... I think we
1: came within two inches of hitting this person.
0: Well, we have a lot of. folks She just here moved here.
1: right into our lane.
0: Well, in our neck of the woods, we have a lot of folks from other places that don't have maybe the traffic rules. Someone just
1: died in the parking lot of the hospital.
0: That was run over. Yeah, two days ago. That is absolutely in the
1: parking lot of of the hospital hospital, because because the drivers are so bad in South Florida.
0: It is pretty bad. But I do have good
1: news. We were talking about the weather in Salt Lake City. We're going to be driving through St. George Mm -hmm. on our way to Vegas. Look at St. George's weather Saturday.
0: Ooh, sunny, sunny and, and 55. fifty-five. All right. Yay. Well, I will be looking forward to seeing beautiful so, Saint George right near Mount Zion, my, Zion, Mount Zion National Park. As a matter of fact, yep. We're going to actually
1: we'll visit that if, on the way back.
0: See if we can visit that on the way back. Yep. From uh, the shot show. So anyhow, exciting. Let's see. No speeding, tailgating, no weaving. From lane to lane, you make your turns slowly and deliberately. And, keep your or,
1: lights on at all times. Keep your lights
0: on at all times. It Be, makes you
1: more visible during the day.
0: Right. Be careful to avoid quick stops and starts because you're just going to slide. Oh no! Honey. In some in some places, I'll remember. I remember doing that in a ski resort once, and just sort of stopped well before the car in front of me, and just sort of slid into him. It took about eight seconds. To do that, but and there's actually, nothing you
1: could do about well, it. That's the right problem. The
0: back. Yeah, didn't Once cause your any car
1: damage. gets going on the ice, you might as well be on a on a skating rink.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, now let's say, besides your, despite your best efforts, that you're stuck on the road in a blizzard. Now you might have help on the way. That would be awesome. But what if it isn't? What what do you do? I mean, this has cost people their lives. Not doing the right thing. The first thing to do is to stay calm. Don't leave the car if you don't have to. It's warmer there than outside, and you're protected from the wind. Now, wet snow, luckily, we have cell phones now. I and mean, if, if I was talking about this 40 years ago, then this would be even more complicated than it is now. But, you know, if you have your cell phone, please call for help but, in normal times.
1: Well, wait. The other problem is do you have service?
0: Exactly. That's a big you're problem.
1: Right. If they've had a terrible storm... There could have been towers. Mm-hmm. It, might just, it might not be one of those areas that just doesn't have service. We do have a lot of those in this country. People don't realize that there are big areas where not a lot of people live, and they just don't have cell phone service there because there's no tower motivation. Why should they put a tower when no one really lives there? But right. anyway, even if there are towers, if the electricity goes out, there could be an issue with your cell phone. Oh, yeah. So... There's a lot of problems. Just because you have a cell phone doesn't mean it's going to work or the messages are going to get through.
0: Now, one thing that's sort of dangerous is sort of wet snow. Wet snow can block up your exhaust pipes and cause carbon monoxide gas to enter the passenger compartment. That's a great way to commit suicide, but it's not a great way to travel from place to place in, in a blizzard. You're going to need fresh air. Now, I don't want you to crack a window on the side where the wind is coming from, though. You have to sort of gauge where that is and crack the window on the opposite side. Now, if you're in a group, you huddle together as best you can to create a warm pocket. This is where you're going to miss those old bench seats that they used to have in cars. Uh, you, You want to rub your hands. You put them in your armpits to keep them warm. Otherwise, keep wiggling around, move When you move, your muscles produce heat, so this is something that would be pretty important. Now, maybe you can dig yourself out, but beware of overexerting yourself in extreme cold. What happens is is you sweat right? when you overexert yourself, and wet clothes are going to be a main cause of hypothermia, of exposure. If you have flares, make sure you use them to let other people that you know help. That's important. Now there are a few things that are pretty important that you should keep in your car if you are going to be somebody traveling in cold weather. And hopefully we'll have uh, a kit that's going to be uh, perfect for this. We're trying to make sure since we're going to be traveling for hours in in cold weather. Hopefully we'll have uh, some of the some of these items with us. Or I know we will. Uh, now these are meant to help keep your keep you safe if the unthinkable happens and you're stranded without hope of rescue your your survival car kit for cold weather for blizzards especially should contain wool blankets so you need that because remember wool can stay warm even if wet Uh, spare sets of dry clothes especially socks hats and mittens Uh, hand warmers uh, or other instant heat packs you'll find them just about anywhere you activate them by shaking them usually or, or pressing on them, cracking them so they we shake and break. Uh, they'll last for hours. Um, you want matches, lighters, fire starter. You always, we would never go anywhere without our fire starter. So get manufacturers some heat so if we, if we had to, we could we can keep things warm or make a fire. Not in the car, hopefully, but you know, if we had to make a fire, we would. Um, flashlights and candles. You want to, of course, keep the batteries in backwards until you need them to extend life. I don't it amazes me how many people don't know to do this. And indeed that we get we do get phone calls from people or we get emails from people saying that the flashlights that we have in or headlamps that we have in our kits aren't working. I just tell them, "Well, you know, either look for the batteries that came th- that we put separately or just turn the batteries that are in there uh, the other way, then they will work." Uh, a small multi-tool probably would be good, you know, Swiss Army knife, things like that, or Leatherman. Uh, you want a blade, you want screwdrivers, or pliers uh, to be available. Uh, let's see what else. Now, a military surplus shovel, I think that that is a pretty useful. If you could you you could use that to sort of dig yourself out. Uh, if you have a little rock salt, you know, a package of rock salt, that may give some traction where you need it. Uh, A tow chain, of course, or a rope, that's something that might be helpful to help. make. If you get another vehicle coming by willing to help, then you might be able to get you out of there. Uh, Of course, flares. People need to know that you're in trouble, right? So it it probably is a good idea to have that. And, of course, uh, you always want to have starter cables. I hope everybody has that in their car. Now, from a... Personal standpoint, you want to have some water, you want to have some food, energy bars, MREs, whatever you've got. Uh, Baby wipes for hygiene are are a good idea. A medical kit. I know where you can get some good ones at (laughs) store.doomandbloom.net. Tarp, duct duct tape, uh, and maybe a metal cup or thermos so you can melt snow or make some soup or whatever. Uh, And a noisemaker. You want to have a noisemaker of some sort that will signal for help so that's i think a, a good idea if you're really in the backcountry you might want to have a mirror so that you know planes overhead might see your signal and of course we uh, a weather radio is never a bad idea and of course your cell phone well that's a lot of stuff so you may not be able to get all that stuff but at least if you have some of that stuff you'll have a fighting chance so Do your best to put together a good winter survival car kit if you're in parts of the country in which that is going to be an issue. Of course, you're going to find situations this winter where people have found themselves at the mercy of the elements. Maybe you're on a wilderness hike. Maybe you have been stranded in a car. Well, the physical effects of exposure can be life-threatening. Let's talk a little bit about that. Hypothermia, that's a condition in which a body core temperature drops below the temperature necessary for normal function and metabolism. Now, your body core is usually between 97.5 and 99.5 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, 36 and 37.5 degrees Celsius. A cold-related illness occurs once the core temperature dips much below that, maybe 95 degrees, much below 95 degrees or 35 degrees Celsius. That's a pretty small range that's normal for you and me, for a human body. It's just uh, actually amazing that we can't deal with extreme heat or extreme cold. I guess we just uh, don't have enough alien genes in us or we're just in such a wonderful, beautiful planet that we don't need to do that. Well, the problem is that when the body is exposed to cold, well, it kicks into action and tries to produce heat. Muscles shiver, right, right? to produce heat everybody knows that and this is going to be the first symptom you're going to see as you start having problems now as hypothermia worsens however you're going to see other symptoms become apparent if you don't get warm right away aside from shivering the first noticeable symptoms of hypothermia are going to be related to mental status yep your mental status is going to be affected you're altered the uh, victim is going to appear confused They're going to feel uncoordinated. They're going to feel sort of lethargic. As the condition worsens, speech may become slurred. patient's going to become apathetic. They're uninterested in helping themselves. You're going to ask them, hey, what's going on, man? And they'll say, oh, I'm dying of the cold. I think I'll take a nap now. And indeed, that's exactly what they do. They lose consciousness and their organs will fail. And all of this goes south from there. And these effects occur oftentimes or mostly due to the effect of cooling temperatures on the brain. The slower the brain, the, the, cold, the temperature of the body core is, the slower the brain works. So you're going slow. Now, brain function is supposed to cease at about 68 degrees Fahrenheit, but there have been a lot of exceptional cases where children, especially children, but sometimes older people, survive even lower temperatures. Now, an ounce of prevention, worth a pound of cure. And So to prevent hypothermia, you have to anticipate the climate that you're going to be traveling through. You want to include windy, wet weather into your calculations. You want to condition yourself physically to be ready for the challenge. That, I think, is really important. If You you can't just be a couch potato for 10 years and then say, okay, I'm going to climb, climb Mount Zion. You have, or, or the Grand Tetons. You have to be ready physically. Also, you should never travel alone in these kinds of backcountry situations. Travel with a partner, if at all possible, and have more than enough food and water for the entire trip. It might be a good idea to remember this simple acronym: Cold, C O L D. This stands for cover, overexertion, layering, and drying. So cover over exertion, layering, and drying. C O L D. The C is for cover. Your head has a significant surface area, so prevent heat loss by wearing a hat. Cover your head because you're going to lose a lot of heat from that area. Instead of if if it's not covered, instead of using gloves to cover your hands, use mittens, like I said before. Mittens are more helpful. They keep your fingers in contact with each other. You can serve heat. O in cold it stands for overexertion you want to avoid activities that cause you to sweat a lot you will lose body heat quickly when wet sweaty clothing accelerates the process being next to your skin you always want to rest when necessary and you want to use those rest periods to self assess yourself for cold related changes pay careful attention to the status of other people in your group especially the elderly and the very young these people are at very high risk for hypothermia and also people with some chronic medical illnesses uh, diabetics are at risk for it as well now the l in cold stands for layering you want loose fitting relatively lightweight clothing in layers instead of just one raccoon coat or something like that you want to Trap pockets of warm air between these layers And that's going to do the best job Of insulating you against the cold You want to use tightly woven Water repellent material for wind protection Uh, Gore-Tex comes to mind For me but wool is pretty good Silk inner layers also hold body heat Better than cotton does Um, I'm trying to think of what else There are a lot of new materials as well Uh, Especially you want to cover your head Your neck, your hands, and your feet Uh, D in cold stands for dry. As simple as that, keep as dry as you can. Get out of wet clothing as soon as possible. That's why it's so important to have an extra set of clothing in your pack. It's very easy for snow to get into gloves and boots. Pay careful attention, especially to your hands and feet. One cold weather issue that people don't take into account is the use of alcohol. Well, I think everybody has seen a picture of the gallant St. Bernard Dogs with a cask of brandy around their neck. They're going into the Alps to rescue these lost Alpine mountaineers. And theoretically, that's supposed to be good. Well, the sad thing is that alcohol is probably the worst thing that you could use to get warm. Because even though it gives you a warm feeling as it's coming down, the truth of the matter is, physically, it actually works to do the opposite of keeping you warm. It actually causes your blood vessels to expand. And this results in more rapid heat loss from the surface of your body. Alcohol, alcohol, recreational drugs, that's also bad because they impair judgment. Those under the influence might maybe choose clothing that might not protect them well in cold weather, make a decision about uh, a trail, that may not make sense or continue going when they should be stopping or turning back. These are some of the things that recreational drugs and alcohol will do. It will impair your judgment, and you will wonder why you did the things you did that are causing you to fall asleep from hypothermia. Now, to treat hypothermia, let's say you encounter somebody that is unconscious or confused, lethargic in cold weather, assume that they are hypothermic until proven otherwise. You see somebody in cold weather who's not with it or just out like a light. Well, those people are hypothermic until you see that they're not. Now, immediate action's got to be taken to reverse these ill effects. And what you got to do is you got to get that person out of the cold. That's very important. You want to move them into a warm dry area as soon as you possibly can. If you're unable to move the person out of the cold, you want to be sure to at least place a barrier between them, the wind and the cold ground, the cold ground. That's very important to have something between them and the ground because it's going to not that's going to just take the heat away and conduct the heat away from them. Uh, You want to monitor breathing. A person with severe hypothermia probably is going to be unconscious, and you've got to make sure that they breathe and check for a pulse because you may have to do CPR on this person. You want to take off any wet clothing they happen to have once you get them out of the cold. If the person is wearing wet clothing, you've got to remove it gently, though. Remember, this person's definitely injured. The skin is going to be very, very sensitive. You want to cover them with layers of dry blankets including the head but you want to leave the face clear remember that mummy wrap that you mummy uh, bag that you had the sleeping bag you had in boy scouts or girl scouts well that's what you're going to want to do you want to have everybody covered up completely including the head but not the face you want to be able to see what's going on in the face um and you want to make sure they're breathing you might want to share body heat To warm the person's body, you would have to remove your clothing and lie next to the person. Of course, you're doing this once you're out of the cold, and you make skin-to-skin contact. Now that's going to be cold as heck for you, but maybe you're not the warm and fuzzy type. But you are going to save a life. You cover both of the blankets, uh, both of the body with uh, bodies with blankets, and a lot of people may cringe at this idea, but it's important. To remember that you really are going to be doing them some good. You will will speed up the warming up. Now, uh, gentle massage or or rubbing may be helpful, but not in people that have frostbite or other skin damage as a result of being out in the cold. Always avoid being very vigorous with that. Nice and gentle if you're going to be doing that. If your victim is awake and alert, they probably aren't, aren't. in the late stages of hypothermia but they may benefit from having some warm oral fluids but that's if and only if the affected person is alert and able to swallow because otherwise it may go right down the wrong tube and you're in worse shape than you were than when you began you want to provide a warm non-alcoholic non-caffeinated beverage to help warm the body that's important uh coffee would be out then but how about some nice warm apple cider that might do a lot of good for that person uh, the warm dry compresses that might be good you may use a uh, first aid warm compress uh, that is a, a fluid filled bag that warms up when you squeeze it uh, or something that has a hand warmer in it maybe but not directly to the skin wrap it in a hand towel or something like that you can make that a makeshift compress of this stuff uh, by using a plastic bottle a whole hot water bottle but never applied directly to the body never apply direct heat don't use hot water heating pads heating lamps directly on the victim the extreme heat can damage skin or that's already traumatized and even can cause strain on the heart it could lead to cardiac arrest the areas that you want to apply warm packs if you're going to do that and by the warm pack should be dry Um, I want you to apply them in areas where blood vessels run very close to the skin. And these areas are going to be the neck, the armpit, and the groin. Okay, Why why is that? Because there are major blood vessels that run close to the skin in these areas, and heat will travel more effectively to the body core. These are also some of the pressure points that uh, they use to stop bleeding because the blood vessels run close to the skin are easier to compress effectively. So that's something that may work out for you. Now here's something we haven't talked about in a very long time. How about avalanches? Let's say you're in the backcountry or you have a retreat that's on a slope on a mountain and the snow has been coming down and just a mass of snow that is there. Avalanches can actually occur, and they do kill probably 150, probably more than that, people a year. And we also call an avalanche a snowslide. You may hear some of the folks in some parts of the country calling it a snowslide. And essentially, it's a mass of snow, ice, and debris that's sliding rapidly down a mountainside. But it's a risk to any winter hiker, a skier, uh, cross-country, and or, or downhill and what happens is just as a snowball rolling down a hill picks up more snow probably seen that in cartoons as you've uh, grown up and an avalanche can achieve significantly more volume and mass as it travels now these rarely make the news but avalanches do cause all sorts of issues and it, it may seem like a rare occurrence but it happens a lot more often than you think certainly more often than... Uh, Let's say shark shark attacks. Shark attacks wind up in the news regularly whenever they they happen. You can pretty much guarantee that they're going to be uh, published as a news event. Avalanches, I don't know, maybe not so much. Snow slides are part and parcel of the winter wilderness experience. Pays to know what to do if you caught one, right? Makes sense. Uh, If you're not prepared to deal with issues associated with your environment, Then you have made it your enemy. That is a quote from me. (laughs) And it's a formidable one. And this is not just good advice for skiers, backcountry hikers. Anybody driving on mountain roads in winter could get caught in an avalanche if they're not prepared. Avalanches are often caused by simple gravity, a major snowfall, a a seismic tremor, human activity. Some people um, in some areas actually put explosives down. To trigger an avalanche so that they can avoid it happening in under uncontrolled conditions, sort of like a controlled fire for wildfires and what you have to really be aware of is that there is incredible speed and force in an avalanche it's actually more, it does depend a little bit on whether it's dry powder or wet powder snow avalanches are very very fast They can travel at speeds of 190 miles an hour, that fast. And you are not going to outrun this avalanche. Now, wet slides, they travel slower, but with a great deal of force because the snowpack is more dense. So that's the important thing. Now, what kills an avalanche victim? Now, I have uh, an article on the website in which I have a a photo of the members of the 1912 expedition uh, with Colonel Scott that tried to make it to the South Pole, they actually, in, in a contest, they actually lost that contest. And they all froze to death. And you would think that avalanche victims are most likely going to freeze to death if they get caught in the snow. But the truth is, is that they usually die as a result of exposure to trauma and damage caused by that, or they suffocate to death. And that's pretty funny. There, there are... People that do freeze to death, but really this trauma and suffocation, that's the most common issue. Let's see. Trauma, pretty much this is caused by debris like rocks, branches, even entire trees. These are carried along in this cascade of massive amounts of snow. And if you wind up being uh, in the... Path of one of these trees or rocks and branches, you can get killed by it. It's so similar to a tidal wave, and the tidal wave itself may not kill you just from the force of the wave carrying you along and smacking you against the wall of a building or into a car that's also being dragged along with the tidal wave. So, same thing with avalanches. But suffocation is a big thing too. If you are buried in the snow at the once the avalanche has stopped well you are going to probably have a limited amount of oxygen there's densely packed snow that is like concrete and a lot of people find themselves just immobilized unable to dig themselves out of trouble i remember winding up in some really deep snow when i was skiing once and wound up up to my well above my belly button in in snow I just sort of phump put me in, put me in that situation I'll tell you it was hell to get myself out I was actually uh ahead of uh, a number of my people in my party and so I actually had, I managed to get myself out just as they came in I should actually just waited and let them do it cuz I was exhausted afterwards well anyhow a lot of people are going to wind up being unable to dig themselves out of trouble and uh, of course hypothermia well, sure enough, it's the cause of death also in an avalanche, but also of, only of a small percentage of avalanche patients, much more likely that they'll perish due to traumatic injury or suffocation before they freeze to death. Now, factors decide, that are going to decide your fate include the density of the snowpack. The thicker the snow, the more likely you're going to suffocate. The presence of air pockets for breathing, or the lack of them, is going to make a big difference as to whether you survive or not. The position of your body in the snow, if you're not upright, you're going to be disoriented and there's nothing that says that you're going to be upright when the avalanche is done burying you. Of course, the kinds of traumatic injuries you sustain and of course the availability of rescue equipment on the scene and maybe some rescue equipment that you happen to have on you. We'll talk about that in a second. On any wilderness outing, it just makes sense to be prepared. So you need appropriately warm clothing for the weather. That's a basic concern. And you want to have heat packs, spare dry clothing, a cell phone. These are things that are going to be important if you're attempting a mountain hike in January. Now, if you're in a group, you have a much better chance that you will survive. That goes for avalanche country as well, except for one thing. You have to space yourselves out far enough so that there's not too much weight on any one area of snow. If a member of your party is buried in the snow, well, you have to act quickly to find these people, dig them out. And it's unlikely that going for help is going to end in a successful rescue. You actually may have to be doing some kind of quick action at the scene if you're going to have a chance of, of helping these people. Otherwise, it's a recovery operation, not so much a rescue operation some recommended gear that you should have besides warm clothing of course is an avalanche beacon that's a device that emits a pulse radio signal but everybody in the group has to have one if a member gets buried in an avalanche the rest of the party picks up the signal from under the snow and the receivers interpret the signal in a display that helps aid the search there are a lot of different good avalanche beacons on the market there Uh, You want to have an avalanche shovel. You want to have a lightweight short aluminum shovel that fits inside your backpack to help chop and remove snow and debris on top of a buried hiker. These shovels usually have telescoping shafts. There are shovels that have grips shaped like the letter D that can be used with mittens. You want to have an avalanche probe. That's essentially a stick that helps you pinpoint the exact location of an avalanche victim and see how far down they are. And you can use a probe to tell a victim from under the ground by the feel of it. It's going to feel softer than the surrounding hard ground. A helmet's a good idea. Many fatalities occurred due to head trauma from rocks and debris flung around by the snow in an avalanche. That's something that's useful. And skiers airbags. This is something that is very important. It'd be a great thing to have if you're going to be in avalanche country. These are brightly colored airbags. They auto-inflate when you pull the trigger. And they work like a life jacket. They keep you buoyant in the avalanche flow, therefore closer to the surface, easier to find if you do become buried. When an avalanche starts, you have to realize that most of the time they're triggered by the victim, 83% as a matter of fact. So to survive, quick thinking, rapid action is important. Yell. Let everybody know in your group that you're in trouble. At the very start of the slide, wave your arms, shout as loud as you can to alert as many people as possible to your location. You want to move, too. If you started the avalanche, you may notice a crevice that's starting to form in the snow. If you can jump uphill of it quickly, you might not be carried off. That's a little iffy. Run sideways as fast as you can from the center of the event. That's where the snow is going to be moving fastest and with the most force. You want to get lighter. There are heavier objects that you may be carrying. They sink in snow, so jettison unnecessary heavy equipment so you'll be closer to the surface. If you can throw something off light, that's not a bad idea. It might stay on top of the snow, could signal rescuers to your general location, maybe save precious time. You want to consider hugging a tree or a rock if the avalanche is relatively small and it's not going to uproot the tree. You can grab the nearest immobile object to hold on for dear life. Of course, in a very large avalanche, they may not be safe anchors. And swim! Swim to survive an avalanche To stay as close to the top of the snow As you possibly can Increase your surface area by spreading your legs With your feet downhill Raising your hands In this position, swing your arms Like you were doing the backstroke Keep your face up It's easier to breathe when you're facing up With any luck, this strategy will keep you Towards the surface of the snow What to do if you're buried in the snow You did your best, but you still got completely buried in the snow You got maybe about 15-30 minutes on average Before you suffocate Snow is sort of porous, but warm breath melts the snow and then refreezes as solid ice. This makes breathing difficult. As the snow starts to slow down, the larger the air pocket you have, the longer you're going to survive. Put one arm in front of your face in such a way as to form a space that will give you the most air. If possible, raise the other arm straight up towards the avalanche surface. Expand your chest, breathe deeply so you have more room to breathe once the snow is settled. And for goodness sake, stay calm in order to use up less oxygen. If you don't know which way is up, spit. The spit will go towards the ground due to gravity and will give you an idea of which way is up. If you can move, work to make a bigger air pocket in the direction of the surface. You only have a second or two to avoid most avalanches, Rapid action, some basic rescue equipment may prevent you from becoming the harsh winter's latest victim. That's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Joe Alton. For Amy Alton, we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies medical supplies and lots of other good stuff contact us send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website see you next week